Hello and welcome to episode 218 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and ladies and gentlemen and identifiers to a gender non-binary, we're at the last episode of 2019. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, the enthusiasm. Yes, thanks for the response. Uh, but evil has been defeated. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, reco- to rise again. Are we recording from a cabin in the woods? Huh, weird. I can neither confirm nor deny, but I'm starting to get real suspicious of those trees outside, so... Oh, weird. Is that a merman outside my house? Okay, uh, but I'm joined by four Retro Encounter regulars from over the year, and uh, we have we have a lot of 2019 to discuss, so let's get into it first with introductions. Uh, t- today I'm joined by Peter Treisenberg. Hi, everybody. Alongside Nathan Lee. Hey guys, what's up? And Joe Padilla. Howdy. And Alana Hayes. Hello. Folks, uh, we've played a lot of games in 2019, and overall I think it was a pretty strong year. Like, I I think I maybe liked 2018 a little better, because I didn't adore anything this year as much as I did Dragon Quest XI or Monster Hunter World, but that's very personal to me. Um, Starting with you, Alana, what are your general impressions of how the year in video games was too much (laughs) every month it felt like for the longest time especially the last four months i think there's been like three or four games every month that i've at least been half interested in um it's been packed and it doesn't look like it's letting up anytime soon but there's, I would agree. I'd say it's not as big a hitter as last year because, like you say, Dragon Quest, you know, Square had their new IP for Octopath Traveler. There were mm, a couple right. of really good indie games last year, and there were a few this year as well. But I think in general, like, this year has just been consistent, more consistent than 2018, whereas 2018 had a real couple of big hitters, and that was me kind of sorted for the year. Yeah, I, I think I basically agree. Like, 2019 was consistently good. Sometimes it felt really dense. And, uh, Alana, I mean... Uh, you're uh, speaking from the position of our reviews head, so you're very keenly aware of how many ga- games came out each <laughs> each month, because yeah. you you had reviews to write and to assign. Uh, but uh, speaking of which, Nathan, you're also on the reviews team. Did did uh, 2019 seem strong, weak, normal to you in terms of RPG releases? Uh, 2019 for me was like every, I feel like there's like Alana said, there's something like every month, or like two or maybe three games every month that I felt like I had some kind of interest in. This entire year has just felt like I've just had nonstop things that I've been interested in playing. But uh, as I look at our, as our list that we're talking about today, I clearly haven't played enough of the big hitters. I think I've taken too many uh, niche uh, projects today. Yeah, that's true for me as well. I, uh, I I played a lot of video games this year, but I definitely didn't cover uh, 2019 enough to be able to handle a podcast like this on my own. Um but between the five of us, I think we've played a lot. Uh, and we have a list to use as guidelines. Uh, Peter, um, let's have you open up discussion. What's one game that we think we should uh, definitely talk about before the episode runs out? Um, I'm, I'm maybe from the first two months of the year. Huh? Well, you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this, but Kingdom Hearts three finally came out. <laughs> maybe I was opening the door for you, but uh, but yeah, it did. Um, it, it was maybe the first big RPG of the year. Came out in the uh, in late January, and it was probably one of the most anticipated games from a lot of our audience because I mean, it, it, I mean, Square Enix and RPG fans are a, a Venn diagram with a nice juicy center. 
I, we we had, we had a whole po- uh, spoiler cast about this. You've been thinking about Kingdom Hearts uh, for your entire life, but maybe especially the past year. Uh, what how, what do you think Kingdom Hearts did to uh, like versus its own hype? Like, how good was it in a vacuum, and how good good was it versus expectations? I think it's one of those things where like, and I and I, and I said this much in uh, like elsewhere. I, I think it's kind of falls victim to expectations in a lot of ways when you're waiting for one of these games for so long and it's just got all this hype behind it reality is always going to kind of like you have to kind of check that at the gate because at the end of the day it's it's still going to be a just a product like at the end of the day you know it's 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 not not going to live up to everybody's like everybody's like wildest dreams um but i still think kingdom hearts 3 was a really good game um it's i don't think it's the best game in the series it did a lot of things that were exciting. The combat system is really fun. It's beautiful, like visually wise. Like Square Enix has been switching to Unreal Four instead of using their proprietary engines, and I think it's a really good call because they've made some really. It, this game looks great. FF Seven Remake coming out is going to be on the same engine, and that looks great. Uh, it's it's fun seeing getting a conclusion to this like story that's been almost two decades in the telling even though it's like at this point it's like we're trying to wrap up every as many plot threads as we can as quickly as possible let's go but if you're into that and like i am then it's it's satisfying um yeah i mean as presentation and as a spectacle it, it looked pretty awesome but uh and you could like feel the excitement and the relief among the fan base that it was finally coming out and it was at it was at least uh you know, exciting um, to behold, but 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 sort of after the hype died down a little bit, I think the receptions were a little mixed. People were uh, disappointed that some characters were underrepresented or had or had had a lower role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- th- there's a th- there's specific issues people had, but but overall, I think that it actually released in a in a complete state that wasn't a you know uh, a, a, a total trash you know, can fire this is no final fantasy 15 and i love 15 right. but this game kingdom Hearts 3 is a finished game it may not have everything like that people yeah. thought could have been in there but well, it's, it, has, it has at least 30 bucks worth of dlc at coming soon right yep it's doing it's doing a, it's little final mix thing and next year and it sounds like they're adding a whole bunch because the base game's getting some updates for free then they're adding like a whole bunch of secret bosses like i think at least 13 Oh, so you think that you think that this is going to be the replacement for uh for like um for for what they they did as final mixes for one and two? Yep, basically because they're they're adding new story content, they're adding a whole epilogue chapter that uh, is going to fill in some of the blanks during the ending. Um, they're letting they're basically get, making every character is getting their own little playable bit because we've seen in the trailer playable Ventus, playable Kyrie. How long? How many years has it been? Like. 20 yeah, years? Right. 20? <laughs> Nearly? Finally gets to do something. Um, she deserves it as well. Like, if, if, think... this, if this comes out in 2020, then it'll have been 18 years, I guess. That's yeah, it. I, mean, yeah. it'll be about, I think the DLC comes out about, I think, exactly a year after the base game did. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that, that's pretty soon. That's some sooner than I thought. Uh, forgive me for not paying attention to the specific release dates of Kingdom Hearts content. Because the, when the trailer came out, I sent her like 10 texts like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, so uh, Joe, I don't know if you played much Kingdom Hearts, but uh, what, what's one 2019 thing that you uh, that you enjoyed that we need to discuss? I didn't play much of Kingdom Hearts three, but as uh, we talked about off air, I'm just working my way through it. Uh, hopefully, so I can finish it up before um, finish up the rest of the games before the DLC comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in terms of 2019 stuff, I probably at this point have famously played uh, not a whole lot from 2019. Um, I think the the one that I've thought about the most in terms of just its mechanics and the news surrounding it and everything would be Pokemon Sword and Shield, mm-hmm. um, which we've kind of already talked about quite a bit on this and on random as well. But it's... Um, it's a it's a it's a new frontier for for Pokemon, and it feels more like um, more like a small step, and kind of a not terribly confident entry into being on a somewhat home council. In terms of the models and how the gameplay actually functions, I think it's pretty it's pretty great in that respect. Pokemon Sword and Shield reminded me of Pokemon X and Y because mm-hmm. y- you can tell it was not as feature rich as the games immediately preceding it mm-hmm. and uh and and X and Y which is maybe my maybe my least favorite Pokemon generation was not hamstrung exactly but uh maybe didn't have as as much ambition as the generation immediately before it in in part because it was on new hardware and that limited uh some of what they could do and and but uh they also you know introduced um this uh or i should say sword and shield introduced uh the gigantamax function which sort of replaces um mega evolutions from gen 6 or z moves from gen 7 and uh and, but and also presents a uh like basic ideas around navigating the world with uh with, with the visual presentation that's really unlike anything uh pokemon's ever done before so so sword and shield is, did a lot of very important presentational and experiential parts of the, of pokemon um they really made you sort of feel like a superstar r- rising up through the ranks of the stadium system and and i think they uh the npcs they did introduce became more important to the whole world rather than just being uh stuck in their in their town kind of kind of deal it it felt like a very complete pokemon cast but uh as much as i would love to not talk about the pokedex controversy it is a little disappointing that there's only 400 pokemon in the game and uh it is a little and, and uh there isn't a lot to the end game once you beat the um the post game quest really there's just uh uh pokemon collecting and uh and pokemon raiding to do which again it doesn't and and tower battling to do which doesn't feel quite as rich as the end games of uh of previous generations but i I still had a lot of fun with it and just just some of the moments in sword and shield like uh before you choose your starter you see the the three of them playing together in a backyard for a few seconds that 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 had more personality and more joy in like a scene in a pokemon cutscene than any other previous generation ever. So I, I want more Pokemon games like Sword and Shield, but I want a level of extended features and post game like previous Pokemon games. So I think they'll get there, but it's gonna but it's it's Pokemon Sword and Shield was an awesome first step, but they have not really finished the uh Poke Gen eight yet. And I'm excited for that, but 
on, on on its own, I don't think it was one of my favorite games of the year. I played the hell out of it, out of it, and liked it, but I, but I'm not going to do a write up of it for for example. It reminds me a lot of X and Y in mm-hmm. that respect, like where it's it's making a jump to hardware. It's got some minor technical foibles that don't ruin the experience, but are definitely present. And the content included is kind of bare bones. Like there is a post game quest, but it's like really short and also really kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah, the worst NPCs in the game. They're I do not terrible. love. I do not love those two jerks. Not at all. Mm-mm. I really wish they'd done something more with the main villain. Not to. I mean, it's not really. Pokemon games aren't known for their story. Hmm. Uh, Sword and Shield are particularly weak, I think, especially after like Sun and Moon and. Uh, black and white and black white 2 also tried mm-hmm. to push it a little bit but like the villain pops out of nowhere like i expected it because you know oh capitalism and things like that but um <laughs> you know i just think that that was the chance to do something and somewhere deep down i would expect and hope that game freak might be looking at dlc maybe for i don't know story content or end game or whatever even the pokedex potentially i don't really mind i think but, i think they've data mined some dlc yeah uh, i think so there's but, definitely some new raids coming up eventually like the snorlax yeah. raid is currently on going so you can get gigantamax snorlax until mid-january i want to say um i think it's really hard i'm just gonna say peter we should try and knock that out together because i i uh i haven't done it yet either okay um, yeah no definitely i'm down like, okay it's it, it, i think multiplayer raids are really fun like, yeah, it is a fun, yeah fun they are series. The Dynamaxing Gigantamaxing system, I don't dislike it, but it, it feels like a combination of Megas and Z moves. Um, in that, like, okay, you you can only it's a transformation that powers up your character's attacks, but it's only good for three turns. Yeah, and I, and I think it dominates the game so much that I, I think I like both Megas and Z moves better. I almost wish they had just added more Mega evolutions and Z moves than right. doing this. No, I, I I agree, and I and I really hope that that this doesn't become a trend that they introduce like a new. It, I, I, this is to, to bring this into my wheelhouse for a second. It's like how every new Yu-Gi-Oh series introduces a brand new card type, mm-hmm. and then the thing the game just gets more and more complicated. And it's like, you know, you could just refine what you have instead of just constantly feature creeping it. You know, and and I don't think that Pokemon needs to have a a dominating new mechanic every generation to sell uh, to sell games because it's it's freaking pokemon it's going to be yeah. the best selling the best selling right. rpg of the year anyway and fans well, I mean, have been wanting new megas since pretty much since gen 6 mm-hmm. yeah exactly and it's not like they ditched Gala- um alolan forms because they're a galarian form so they can indeed in- implement new ideas and keep them consistent amongst it, generations but, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I, I think adding galarian forms was actually awesome uh yeah. and, and continuing that idea from uh from the gen 7 alola, alola games was was good but if they had just made this uh gigantamax snorlax that has like a whole neighborhood on its stomach if that if they made that mega snorlax people would have lost their mind and been incredibly excited a I, tiny I, I, little flea circus or something yeah, right great. <laughs> <laughs> well or just uh, just having a whole village of munchlaxes living on his on his stomach oh, for, a, for a special attack yeah, yeah but, but um again uh, sword and shield has some limitations and uh, and some of the new changes I didn't always jive with, but just the Pokemon fantasy of fighting in giant stadiums and uh, and walking around and seeing Pokemon sort of living their lives all around you 
and and uh, and, and let's be real, the start the starters in this gen are great. A, a lot you can tell a lot of thought went into them, and they have a lot of. A, a, a lot of really cool ideas and personality in, in all three in all their evolutionary stages. Um, we, we we probably have three different favorites in this group of five. <laughs> I love them. If they're really good. I really like all three of them. Yeah. I actually oh. really like this generation of designs in general. I oh, think it's yeah. one of the I think it's one of the strongest maybe since Gen Four. The monsters themselves are not the problem with this game. There there is no. a there's a mm-hmm. b- b- both a, well, <laughs> I, well I mean, maybe Joe and I disagree, but I think that the starters and a lot of the mid game Pokemon and a lot of the end game Pokemon just have really really cool ideas and designs behind them. I, I mean Alana Dragapult. Oh God! Dragapult. Every time I love Dragapult so much. I I adore the Applin line. Like yes. The, oh yeah, yeah. The little, <laughs> apple, <laughs> little apple dragon and a little apple pie dinosaur. They, they took the visual of a worm going through an apple, and then they turned that into apple pie dragons. Yeah, apple pie dragon, <laughs> or like he either becomes the apple or defeats the apple. It's like. And and a little electric slug that evolves into an electric guitar or an electric bass Pokemon with toxicity is incredible. Yeah, with, with six strings for the guitar version and four strings for the bass bass versions, ba- on, based on the number of stripes on its chest. It's brilliant. There's so much thought and cool ideas in the new Pokemon themselves, but it's just the stuff surrounding Sword and Shield yeah. that make it sort of not necessarily like if they had just really nailed every key feature this would be the best pokemon game ever but they only nailed a couple of the key features and uh, and uh, and the commu- and the community is very very uneven levels of excited and disappointed with it i i i do personally like a lot of the designs but it's this game that feels kind of sterile in a lot of ways and then when it tries to break free from that it like it's disappointing in in some ways, like, like I, I have to stop talking about the fossil Pokemon. Oh yeah, they <laughs> those really, aren't those aren't great. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very upset about the fossil Pokemon, <laughs> and I will give no quarter to I like the idea of the fossil Pokemon. Yeah, three, yeah. but um, yeah, no, they should have just had the proper designs instead of the weird mix mash thing. Although Dracovish is best boy. Um, Dracovish is so powerful, apparently. Yeah. Broken, and it's like, thank you, Mr. Fish. Um, He's my favorite little nightmare abomination. Yeah, the concept behind them is really good. Like, they really run away with the whole... The UK, when they started finding fossils, they decided to sandwich them together without planning anything. Oh, no, we've created an abomination kind of thing. But, like, (laughs) it would be nice if at some point they created the other half of those fossils. I did watch a video on YouTube the other day, which somebody redesigned the other half and made them complete, like, Pokemon. So, like, the fish one was complete and whatever. They were really cool. And I was like, I want to see this. I really want to see this. So, yeah, I I, I love the concept of them. But, yeah, they, they, they don't. I feel sorry for them. That fish one cannot breathe out of water. How is it surviving? Like, please help it, somebody. Head. Yeah, I know. Pokemon Sword and Shield, uh, I think all five of us played it at least a little bit. Um, but it, it's a very mixed it, it's a very mixed bag of success and failure, and it really depends on who you're at, on who you ask as to how good this game is. Um I, I liked it a lot, but it, it wasn't really one of my favorites of the year. But uh, let's see, um, Nathan. There's at least one game on this list that I know is your favorite of the year. So, do you want to talk about that one or uh, or something else on the on in our little lineup? 
save it for a little bit later. Okay. Let's uh, talk about Persona Q2 for a bit. All right. Um, uh, now, Nathan, I got halfway or maybe a little bit less than halfway through Persona Q2. Um, around how far did you make it? I'm about the same as you. I got through maybe... I think I'm close to the end of the second movie. <laughs> I'm thinking about, I'm, at, I'm at exactly the same place. I'm, I'm like at the final boss of the second movie. Okay, so it's like... I think it's the same for both of us then. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got waylaid by other games. But Persona Me Q2 too. for what I played was pretty fun and... Uh, it's a good way to set up the 3DS, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I don't know if this is the last 3DS game that will be released in North America. Probably not, but uh, it's a 3DS game that released in June of 2019, so it's definitely part of the final wave of the 3DS. And as a last hurrah, uh, I think it's really good so far. I, I loved the first Persona Q. I, uh, I did um, play that one to completion. And Persona Q2 has a, sort of a similar idea. They have, an, they have a new central character... And uh, and part of and uh, multiple Persona characters are sort of pulled through dimensions into a strange space to try and and save or or resolve the conflict of this new character. And the new character is a oh shoot I forget her name. What, what, what's the girl who's stuck watching the the four movies? Uh, Hikari, I think. Yeah, Hikari. It's a girl named Hikari who is basically um, sort of trapped in her own emotions. And she's watching uh, uh, movies that have rather horrible endings. Uh, like, like the first one is a superhero movie where the lesson that they teach you at the end is that you should always listen to the voice of authority and, uh, and adults are always right and children are never, are never, are never right. Um, and, what, and the, and the, uh, you know, the Persona 5 cast is like, well, this is all wrong. We're, we're all about um, rebelling against authority. <laughs> so they, they, they end up stuck in the movie and, and then end up basically defeating the villains in the movie to change the ending so that the new moral is that uh individuality and and disagreeing with authority is normal and okay and basically by what I, I think the idea is they go through four movie dungeons uh that that are that are you know sort of crushing this girl emo- emotionally and, and representing things in her life that are that are uh that are um sort of oppressing her and and changing and by beating the dungeons, you change the endings of the movies to have her come out of her shell more. And then by the end, there's definitely some supernatural shenanigans that I have that I don't know exactly how they go yet. Because again, I only made it through the first two movies. But it's the, the movies themselves are Etrian Odyssey, Etrian Odyssey style dungeons that are heavy with Persona stuff and lore and uh, and cool visual ideas. And the uh, eventually, once you have the Persona three and four casts joining you. I think there's something like 25 to 30 playable characters, so the amount of character tinkering and party designing you can do is insane. Uh, it was already pretty crazy in, in the first Persona Q, but this just ratchets it all up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the third perso- the third movie has some Persona 3 stuff in it because you know, the Persona the second movie is uh, a disaster slash dinosaur movie with Yosuke Soros in it. Uh, for Persona fans, if you wanted to see the the Casts of Personas three through five interact in a, in a goof, mostly goofy way. It's fun, and if you want uh, four or five really meaty story dungeons, uh, this this will scratch that itch as well. I, I really liked Persona Q. I think I re- I think I want to try and finish it in twenty twenty. But it's it, I, I, it's a hundred percent Persona and Etrian Odyssey fan service, and that is okay and great. Yeah, I can agree with all that. It's a game that uh, I feel bad about leaving behind, but uh, 
but maybe one day I'll be able to go back and return to it. I think part of the issue is that it, it was released on 3DS, and I kind of wanted it to be a Switch game. But, like, trying to go back to the 3DS when, you know, the Switch has been out for two years, it's, uh, it's kind of like going back to the, the old, um, I, don't know what, I don't know how to say it, but it just feels like stepping back into, like, into time. That was a weird problem with this year, be- uh, not to change the subject, but, um, Mario and Luigi um, put out the uh, the Bowser's Inside Story remake earlier right. this year. What, was that and the end of 2018 or early 2019? It was, it was January. January. Oh, okay. Oh, and I see. Now Alpha Dream is going out of business, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, why, did you, why yeah. did you do this to begin with? Yeah. If you put a Mario and Luigi game on Switch, like I feel like then they would have done really well. But instead, you're tethering it to this system that, I mean, no one's buying games for right now. I feel... I feel like it's kind of, um, I feel this with a lot of different consoles and stuff where like, it feels like going two generations back is easier than going one because like, there's this greater sense of nostalgia. You know, I've been playing DS games and like those seem like I've been really enjoying that, but playing a 3DS game seems, um, it seems a bit, seems a bit out of it right now because it's, because it's not quite what the current gen is providing, um, and it's not kind of possessed of that nostalgia just yet. It just feels kind of old. Maybe. Uh, I think for Nintendo, this is the very end of the split generation. Like, you know that awkward period where, say, uh, Guitar Hero 3 came out for... Uh, PS2 and PS3 and Xbox and 360. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that always that sort of overlapping period where things will come out for multiple systems, even though everyone that is that is straddling that split generation sort of wants people to move on to the new system. I, I think that probably in the case of Persona Q2 and the and the Bowser's Inside Story remake, they were both um, uh, reutilizing assets from previous games because Persona yeah. Q2 looks just like Persona Q1. And the Bowser's Inside Story remake probably reused some assets from the Superstar Saga remake. They've been reusing assets since Dream Team. Probably yeah. yes. Oof. So so there was so um, there were technical reasons and uh, hardware reasons for them to stick to the same system. Also, I think that the touchscreen drawing stuff would not have been as good on Switch, specific to Persona Q2, because there's a lot of map drawing and note taking in the Persona Q games. And uh, and it's and that that and the what the Etrian Odyssey series has been doing for over a decade is very very logical with a dual screen setup. So I think that um and, and uh, the bottom screen of the 3DS is sort of a more malleable, more intentional uh, touch screen than the Switch's touch screen, which isn't a bad touch screen. But uh, I, I I think Persona Q2. Yeah, Persona Q2 would have been good on the Switch. They definitely could have pulled it off. I was okay with this being a 3DS game and sort of, but I'm also sort of thinking of it as maybe my, maybe the last new 3DS game that I will buy. Uh, not, not new 3DS specifically. Like it'll be the last 3DS game that I buy new. Mm-hmm. It makes me a little sad because I thought the 3DS was really strong. It was, it was great. Yeah, it's always, yeah. But, uh, I mean, if you had to mention one current generation console that people get the most excited about, it's probably the Switch, right? So. Yeah, right. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, Makes sense that it's the end. How many times have we said put it on the Switch in 2018 and 2019? We have uh, a whole feature for it. Indeed we do. <laughs> and some of those have come true. 
Right. So, uh, Alana, I'm not going to ask you to specifically stick stick to the Switch, but is there a game on the list here that we should uh, move on to next? Yeah. Um, I'll come off the Switch for a bit then. Uh, let's talk about Trails of Cold Steel Three. Ooh. That's a mammoth, isn't it? This is one of those games where if you played it to the end, it's probably one of your three favorite games of the past five years. But it, but but if you aren't already in Cold Steel 3, you're sort of just shrugging and going, I, I don't know about this. Yeah, well, it's really difficult yeah. because Cold Steel, like, there was a big debate before it came out, like, Obviously, it's getting a Switch port now. Um, Mm -hmm. None of the other games in the series are on Switch. So there's a big debate by the fans. Um, Where do you start? Not Cold Steel 3 is the general consensus. And (laughs) I think you could, but I would at least recommend playing Cold Steel 1 and Cold Steel 2 first at the bare minimum. That being said, there is also Trails in the Sky, first chapter, second chapter, the third, and the two crossbell games that are not yeah. available in English officially. So, so, so depending on how you want to frame it, this is either the third game in a four-game cycle or the eighth game in a nine-game cycle. And, it's very and, definitely the eighth game in a nine-game cycle. Yeah, and and uh, and either and if you're if you aren't already in the uh, the, the 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 Trails microcosm, which is understandable because that's that's a lot of video game, um, mm-hmm. it's a little intimidating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm coming into Cold Steel 3 having only played 1 and 2, so mm-hmm. I haven't even played Sky or... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in an even weirder position. I've played Sky 1 and 2, but not 3, and I played Cold Steel 1, but not 2, and I haven't played either of the uh, of the Crossbell PSP games, which uh, I don't know if we'll ever get them officially in English. I, I'm basically 50-50 on, on guessing that. But uh, Cold Steel 3... If you do come into it with at least having played one and two, it's it's a pretty satisfying RPG back, uh, um, front to back. I mean, just hearing Caitlin talk about it uh, both privately and on uh, Random Encounter, you, there, there's this is a good one. One of the good ones is what the one, fan base is telling me. One of the best ones, I think. The, my favorite of the three so far, I would say. Um, it's just really satisfying. Like mechanically, it's much tighter. It's a lot more accessible. It's a lot faster. They clean up some of the menus a little bit. You know, the graphics are actually. I'm not saying that they're bad on like Cold Steel One and Two, but like it feels like a step forward. Falcom have never been like the yeah. best technical, you know. And and thing. and this one isn't married to the PS Vita hardware the way the first two were. It's, Exactly, yeah. So this is a PS4 game straight up. It's not the best looking PS4 game, but I think it's appealing. Um, like, it, it just, I think for me, what makes it is that it's it's just super satisfying. Like, you've got all your friends from the first two games. Uh, there's been a year since the second, about a year and a half since the end of the second game. So Reen is now a teacher, so you've got this new cast of characters coming in. They fit in perfectly. The old cast drop in and out. You've got characters from the Crossbell games coming in. You've got characters from Trails in the Sky coming in. Oh, I'll be they, so happy to see them again. I, I, I'm, I'm, really at, I'm really attached to several Trails in the Sky characters. <laughs> uh, yeah, Agate is in your party for a while. It's great. Agate oh, nice. is extremely overpowered. And Tita goes to the school that you teach at. Oh, oh that's adorable. just perfect. Is, is, does she join your party properly? Uh, in one dungeon, mm. yes. Teenage Tita would get me more excited about this game. <laughs> She is super adorable. She's actually one of the shopkeepers for most of the game, so oh, you do get to see her a lot. That sort of but. fits. Is she is she like the George of the game then, maybe? Yes, pretty much. Okay, that 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 is in character for her, and I'm okay with this. I, I accept this, Alana. Yeah, there's a reason <laughs> she's at the school. It's because she's um, under the wing of one of the other big 
science people in the uh, in Zamoria. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I just think it's a really, really solid, satisfying way to knit all of the games together because that's what it is really. Um, it just brings together all of those characters, all of those stories, and it builds up to something really big. Um, one issue I do have with the first two games is the pacing is a little bit off, especially in two. Like the middle twenty hours are kind of difficult to get through. Mm. I think Cold Steel 3's um, pacing is really excellent, and there's something happening all the time, whether you're at school or on a field trip or like, you know, there's always something going on and you're always thinking about what's going to happen next. And I haven't quite finished it yet, but my jaw has dropped multiple times already. And and not just because of, uh, of, of, <laughs> not just because of Usus and Machias talking about the other. <laughs> they have not been on screen together yet. There, I'm that, is, that is an incredible tease on the part of Nihon Falcom. It is, yeah. They do get. I'm, I'm near. I'm near the reunion. So a lot of the games building up to Cold Steel, um, to Class Seven, rejoining. They've made a promise to get back together again, and I'm almost at that. That's where I am. So I'm like middle of Chapter Four. So I'm quite near the end, but I'm seventy hours in, <laughs> and wow. I've probably still got twenty hours to go. I would say so. It's longer than one and two, which are both sixty plus hours. Um. But I have never been bored. I, I, it's really strong from a story standpoint. There's a lot of really good reveals. Some old favorites from Ouroboros is back. Campanella's back for Trails oh, okay. uh, in the Sky fans. Um, Campanella's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> your favorites are not back, I'm afraid. Oh, I don't darn. Think. It will, yeah, yeah, it will... uh, my favorites are a couple of the ones from Trails in the Sky, too. Uh and and I think they're I'm not expecting them to be back. But uh, we alluded to this a little bit, Alana. Um, the trails in the sky. I'm sorry. I should say the trails or Kiseki saga in this game because the I mean, trails in the sky one is technically Legend of Heroes six or something. I'm gonna I'm gonna get all those numbers wrong if I attempt to. <laughs> but uh, it's intended to be a number of games in the like 14 to 20 range eventually i think but they're also comprised of these mini arcs uh the first two trails in the sky games are sort of a duology and the third one is like an is like an addendum uh the yeah. two the, the two crossbell games are definitely in the same story arc and i think that trails of cold steel 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 you could probably uh accept them as either two pairs or as a tetralogy because yeah. the, the, the way that they're set up like like cold steel 2 has some definitive end like ending things and cold steel three does not i i I know you haven't gotten there but i uh am under the impression it ends on a semi cliffhanger oh definitely because uh quite famously people absolutely expected cold steel three to be the end um Mm. when it came out in japan and quite you know obviously they announced cold steel four not too long after three came out so I'm, I'm sure there is a uh, yeah I'm sure there's a story a justification for that even though uh, you neither you nor I are 100 percent aware of what it is. But I know, uh, I know Caitlin is shook. <laughs> oh it, yes yes we we are agreed there. But I'm excited because I, again I've only played three of the Trails games to completion: uh, Sky One, Sky Two, and Cold Steel One. Um, but they're all really good. The like the characters are really likable and the writing is really strong in every trails game that i've played uh if i were to put nihon falcom into a box and 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 say they only have two major series which is false but uh like 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 east is sort of about the action and the adventure and trails is more about the world building and the writing 
and 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 the characters and they absolutely have delivered on the world building and the characters in the three that I've played and if you're telling me Cold Steel 3 is one of the best of the whole set of 9 if we include 4 um that that's astounding this is a must play game like like I if people that enjoy um RPGs and have you know some old school tolerance for uh slow moving plots and 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 large amounts of reading uh th- these are must play games and if cold steel 3 is one of the best of them then it, 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 even though i haven't played a second of it outside the e3 demo it that's that's a hell of an rpg it is it is extremely good and i'm hoping that uh, an isa have done a pretty good job on the localization like better than most people expected which is good i think that nisa had a really bad misstep with the first pass yeah. of, of East 8. But other than that, they've done a pretty good job with most of their localization projects. Like, Yeah, it's not perfect, but like the, the issues are less noticeable. You know, there's no technical problems either. Okay, that's, maybe the well, that's also good. Yeah, and they've also been pushing the advertisement on it way more, and it deserves to be ported to Switch, because I think... I think people will play it in isolation, which I think is fine. You won't get a lot of references, and you won't get a lot of the backstory of a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. But if this makes more people buy the Trail series, then I am all for it personally. Yeah, I, I will. I will. My eyes will glaze over whenever they talk about uh, Crossbell stuff in this game, if if and when I eventually play it, because I I know very little about the two Crossbell games. There's but, only some name drops and event stuff and that. So well, and it, but isn't isn't read. isn't one of the major characters in Crossbell another teacher alongside Reen? Oh, Randy Orlando. Yeah, Randy yeah. Orlando is fabulous. Okay, I love yeah. Him. I like when I saw that he was one of the core characters at the new school. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay, Crossbell guy. Well, I hope he's cool. But um, <laughs> he he's very cool. I need to catch up on this series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Peter, it's it's worth it. Like every time I get one game deeper, I've liked it more and more. My favorite is probably Trails in the Sky too, but that could change with the next game I play very easily. Uh, I'm, hope- I'm hoping they'll do console ports of uh, of Trails in the Sky the same way they did uh, uh, Cold Steel. They well they they they, they did in Japan. they did in Japan. I'm not sure if we're getting those in English. Uh, yeah, they did a PS Vita once, didn't they? Uh, Evolution was that what they were called? Yeah, the yeah. Spy games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the Cold, Cold Steel Three came PS3 first. It was PS3, then PC, then PS4. Cold Steel One and Two, sorry. Yep, split generation, just like that. Yeah, exactly. The uh, the the two ports came out this year actually, and they're good. Uh, there's more dialogue, faster. Like you've got speed up option and. Oh, yeah. I know. When we recorded the podcast on that, <laughs> uh, Alana, you, Zach, and Caitlin all played the Turbo version, and I was stuck with the Vita version that I bought in 2015. But funnily <laughs> enough, like by a third of the way through two, I've stopped using Turbo. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I just well, feel like uh, I'm used to it now. Playing playing on Vita, I was able to um, play the game while I was. Uh, while I was watching, you know, baseball or professional or professional wrestling or something, which is which is also an extreme, uh, you know, uh, extre- an extreme positive of playing games on handhelds. Agreed. But uh, we've already put a lot of time into talking Cold in, uh, Cold Steel Three on various podcasts on the website, so I think we need to move on before this episode ends up being two hours. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about something that was maybe we don't need to go into this a lot, but that was something that was maybe my favorite surprise of 2019, and that was. An honest-to-God localization of Psychonin Setsu 3. Yeah! Um, uh, an official English-language release of the collection of Mana um, game for uh, for Switch, which I think came out in Japan in 2017. 
gave us the original untouched uh, emula- emulated versions of Final Fantasy Adventure and Secret of Mana, plus a brand new localization of Psychonin Nintendo 3, now rechristened Trials of Mana. So, and uh, Trials of Mana is one of my favorite games of the of all time. I first played a bootleg English translation of it in the early 2000s, probably 02 or 03 range, and uh, and I've been talking it up on internet message boards and podcasts ever since. Um, I, 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 I was a regular fixture on the, on the game FAQs.com board for that game of all things in the, in the mid two thousands, which is a, a hell of a mid two thousands thing to say, but, uh, trials of men is an all time favorite and having a legal translated version of it that I could buy and play and, uh, and, uh, and my, and my friends were playing was so exciting to me. Uh, that game is great. Alana, you were on the pod, that podcast with me, um, in July and, I mean, I mean, how good is Trials of Mana? And you reviewed the entire collection, in fact. So, uh, so, how, so, yeah. So, how are those games? <laughs> uh, delightful. They are perfect. Well, they're not perfect, but like Trials of Mana. That is, I think I said as much. Trials of Mana was the one game. Like, if I had to give up a body part to play a game, it would be that. And I got it without giving up a body part. And it's fantastic. I've done I've done two playthroughs, and I'm halfway through a third one. That's where I am too. I did one playthrough for the podcast, and then was playing it off and on um, throughout the summer and, and fall and, and finished a second and then partway through a third. Uh, there's so much re- replayability in Trials of Mana because there's six main characters that each have four sort of uh, um, build directions with, uh, with how you uh, build up their stats and skills. And you only choose three of the six at the beginning to form your party. So the number of combinations is crazy. You have to beat the game at least six times if you want to use every possible combination. No, no, I'm sorry. It's eight times, not six. It is eight times to use every job. Yeah, but, and I, I, I have done that. I think there's only one or two jobs that I haven't played in my various playthroughs over the past 15 years, and that's because those are the jobs that everyone says sucks. Uh, <laughs> but but it's one of my all-time favorite games. This is a very functional, good translation and port, and I, I implore everyone that can play it to play it. It was my happiest surprise of the whole year to get to... Um, hear that announcement at E3, and Alana, you were and I were in the, we we were in the same room together when we heard that announcement, and you saw and you saw me lose my damn mind in real time. I lost my damn mind in real time as well. <laughs> and we're getting a remake. As and well, we're, next we're getting year. a we're getting a 2020 remake it, uh, for the game's 25th anniversary of its Japanese release. It uh, my six beautiful children are more beautiful than ever, and uh, I'm really excited to play that game when it comes out. Uh, it's coming out on PS4 and Switch, and, and maybe also PC, but definitely those first two. So uh, uh, I'm going to be playing many different versions and character combinations of Trials of Mana in 2019 and 2020, and I could not be happier. For the one the remake comes out for Trials of Mana, that's when I'll definitely be playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if it's um, if it preserves like 80% of the things I love about the Super Famicom version, then it, will, it is absolutely worth playing. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I mean it's, it's going to feel different, and uh, I don't know exactly how many changes they're going to make mechanically. Of course, there's the difference between the isometric combat and the 3D combat. That's, a, that's, a, that, that, that's worlds apart. But it, like I said a second ago, if, if they keep most of it feeling the same and it's, it's true to the spirit of the old Trials of Mana, then it's going to be great. So I, uh, I really hope it's good. Mm, it looks like they've at least learned a mess of, uh, lesson from the Secret of Mana remake, so mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm I'm ready. Right on, but uh, that's a game from 1995. We maybe shouldn't be talking about it too much in a 2019 in a uh, 2019 year in review episode. So uh, 
Oh, um, does anyone have something that they feel strongly about to, that we need to bring up next? Uh, is it time to talk about Fire Emblem? It's as good a time as any to talk about Fire Emblem. Uh, I like it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that is one diff- difference between three houses and fates. <laughs> oh, my, I wasn't expecting this, but I, I think three houses might be the best game I played all year. And I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I think it's been delightful as an outsider to see the reaction from the fans, the voice actors, mm-hmm. everything. Like, the buzz around this game is extremely, like, positive and... They- I really think they want to build the Fire Emblem community with this game because this game has always had a very passionate niche community and with Three Houses they were trying to build that community as much as they could they had um, the voice actors interacting with the fans Uh, they they were um, promoted this game pretty heavily I I see ads for it on YouTube which is definitely not the case of any other Fire Emblem game I've played and um basically they are just trying to stoke the flames of fan excitement as much as they can, and this is on top of it being a really satisfying, good strategy RPG already. <laughs> so what was, who was everyone's uh, favorite house? I went, I went Black Eagles my first run, so I'm kind of tempted to go with them. Yeah, same here, because I went with Black Eagles first. I was also, like, they end up still being my favorite house, but I'm playing Blue Lions now, and it, it might pass Black Eagles, maybe. Oh, we'll wow. May convert me. We'll see. <laughs> no, I, not expect I, that. I haven't played it yet, but my first pick would be um, the Golden Deer House. If only for Joe Zija hanging upside down on a camera just to advertise <laughs> that he was the voice actor for it. But I, I think, like, I've heard different things about each of the paths, and they sound all really different. So if I can ask, is it that the first half of the games are fairly similar outside of class interactions, or are they pretty different? the whole way through because i know there's obviously a split at some point in the game so yeah. they change one part so are they like pretty similar first half and then very different second half or is it is it a bit more than that yeah so basically the first half of the story is general so that's across all paths you all experience the same general story so all the event major events happen like the same way through all stories <laughs> and then the second half will be different right geez so that's potentially like 60 hours each story and there's at least three storylines that i know of so yeah that's a lot and obviously there's tons and tons of characters do uh do any of you have a favorite of um, any of the houses other than the house leaders because we know edelgard is great and dimitri is great and claude is great so oh it's it's so hard to pick favorites just like when when i try to think of a ranking for all these characters it's really hard because i'm just like (laughs) Man, I really like this character's personality and, and character, but then, you know, maybe they're not as good as a unit, but then this character is, you know, great as a unit, but, you know, maybe it'll feel as strong as them as a character. So it's kind of like, where do I really want to rank these characters? There's like, there's, I, the feelings I get for this cast of characters is mm-hmm. unlike any other Fire Emblem game I've experienced in quite some time. Yeah, that's the impression I'm getting. They're, they're all the dialogue voiced as well? Is that it's, right? Yeah, all, it's all fully voiced. Wow, that probably helps a lot then, I would think. Yes, yeah, that's. I think that's to me where Three Houses succeeds where other Fire Emblems didn't. Um, is it makes the multiple faction thing work because every faction has likable members and believable motivations. So, really you, so you're telling me that one of the factions isn't ruled by a king who's actively trying to murder his own child? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, 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 it's 
there's no, oh yeah, you can totally side with Nor, but Nor is so cartoonishly evil. It's like, there's no moral gray area there. Three Houses, though, every side, I, I, I don't want to get into specifics, but like, mm-hmm. these characters have believable motivations, and you can understand where we're, they're coming from, even if they have to do horrible things to get there. Mm-hmm. And, a, an, and a unique shared history that informs their actions. And it really does get into some morally gray territory that I adore. Like it's the kind of storytelling that Fire Emblem has been, in my opinion, sorely missing um, for a long time. Where like, I I honestly feel bad about having to choose a side. Like I remember like after I finished my Black Eagles run and thinking like, oh man, there was the playthroughs aren't like, I'm not going to get the same feeling or I'm not going to be able to side with this one character for you know, all these other playthroughs, it's good, like, and there's the one cutscene through on the kit, through in the later part of the game that just, like, they killed me. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I still remember reading, like, you think about, there's been all these, like, games of the decade or games of the last ten years posts. Like, someone posted a snapshot of a couple of wiki articles from uh, the Fire Emblem series. In 2009, Fire Emblem was going to be shut down. Like, they were like, if the next game doesn't sell really well, then that's it, we're pulling the plug on it. Ten years later, Fire Emblem Three Houses is the biggest selling game in the series, potentially. That is a hell of a redemption arc. I think Fire Emblem Awakening basically saved the series because they were were disappointed in how poorly Radiant Dawn and uh, the two DS games sold, even though the second DS game didn't come out in uh, uh, didn't come out worldwide. But uh, Awakening was a big success. Then Fates became the number one seller in the series, probably because it was it followed Awakening, and then this one has um, had as much community and critical acclaim as Awakening, which was a very popular one, and better selling numbers than Fates, which is absolutely peak Fire Emblem. It's 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 great that there's a, a Fire Emblem game that uh, the fans are behind and excited about. It's, 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 it's great. I haven't played Three Houses yet, even though I'm a, a Fire Emblem fan who's had uh, many highs and lows <laughs> playing that series oh. over, the, over the years. But I'm I'm excited too. It's one of my bigger uh, video game regrets of the, of 2019 is not getting to that one. But I, but I will eventually. Yeah, yeah. me too. I think I one am. of the big things for um, Fire Emblem Three Houses was actually uniting the fan base for once because there's always that that clear gap between the old guard, right? The guy, the people who have played, you know, Fire Emblem since the beginning of time, and then there's people who have played Fire Emblem since Awakening. But for the first time, I think since Awakening came out. The Fire Emblem community has actually been united on one game. Fates tried to have it both ways, with the uh, the Conquest route playing like an older Fire Emblem game, and the uh, uh, shoot the, the, the Birthright. Yeah, the Birthright route playing more like Awakening, um, but just just tonally, the, those two game those games were so weird and un, and yeah. and not really successful that that I think that the fan base did not accept it as hotly as they did Awakening. But Three Houses has. Um, united the clans, as it were, and it's a. Uh, I have heard, maybe not only positive, but overwhelmingly positive uh, reception about it. And uh, it's again, I'm I'm happy that it's good again. Firmly back back on board with Fire Emblem, and I'm really happy to say that. Like I am so happy to be proved to be wrong. <laughs> like it's it's just it was it's 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 a really good game. It's a really special game. I I I I think it honestly might be my overall game of the year, and I'm going to be playing through the other routes like probably throughout 2019 so 2020 uh speaking of comebacks 
there's one other comeback I want to mention uh, on this episode for sure, and that is the only Japanese game developer I awkwardly met at an airport in Los Angeles, and that is Koji Igarashi. <laughs> um, he was the Castlevania showrunner for many years. Uh, he was the, the co-director of Castlevania Symphony of the Night in 97-98, and then was the architect of most of the Castlevania games in the 2000s. Not, not every single one. Basically, those non-linear RPG-like Castlevania games were often referred to as Egovanias because of him. And uh, he left Konami under not the best of terms in the early 2010s, but then came back with a Kickstarter project, uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, that was originally going to come out in 2017, but didn't land until summer 2019, which gave me all kinds of anxiety. I was worried this game would be bad. I, uh, I I openly said that on podcasts, even. I'm, I'm 100% certain I did. And so I, I was very worried about this game, especially since there was a lot of ho- high-profile Kickstarter failures in that 2017 to 2019 range. That not, not everybody can be, uh, you know, an FTL or a Shovel Knight in the, or, or, or even a, uh, a or an even, or even a Broken Age. But mm. Alana Bloodstained was really good. <laughs> Bloodstained blew my expectations out of the water. I was so delighted with Me it. Me too. Um, I played the PS4 version, and I know the Switch version has issues. I played the Switch version, and it did have issues, but I n- none of them were deal breakers. Uh, but 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 maybe play that on PC or PS4 if you have a choice, listeners. Right. Yeah. Which is a shame because like the Switch is how I wanted to play it because you know I played all the handheld Castlevanias. It's the perfect system to play them on. It, um, it was it was so delayed in coming out that I ended up switching my pre-order that came with my Kickstarter backing from Vita to PS4 to Switch before it actually arrived. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the issue, wasn't it? It was originally going to be built for the Wii U. Um, and, so. and originally had a... I think it originally had Wii U and also 3DS versions uh, or oh, wow. op- options available. But they, again, they, again, it was a slightly troubled Kickstarter campaign which just which did did nothing for my confidence in the game, but the but I am which made it such a delightful surprise and it, it ended up great. And I um, uh, it, it's a really cool large area to explore with some uh, with some parts that would be uh, familiar to Castlevania fans, like a, a nice big um, hallway gallery for the entrance to the castle, segments on trains, and in labs. Like it's a Castlevania in all but name, but has so much extra stuff and so many uh, new features and new things that aren't in the old Egovania games that uh, it, it felt like a really good or great one of those without being complete mimicry. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. like like Miriam has similarities to Shanoa from Order of Ecclesia, and uh, and, and the, a lot of the castle navigation and even how Miriam moves feels like old old Castlevania games. But there's a bunch of stuff in here that wasn't in those old Castlevania games, to the like the very least of which isn't the insane amount of crafting you do. But yeah. uh, it's odd. it's just a really really strong nonlinear out uh, 2D action RPG or whatever you want to call it without saying the M word. <laughs> I will. I would say the M word. I like the M word. Okay. It is a word I am fond you, of. You and... can say the M word. <laughs> but um. Monster it, you Hunter. Know, that you one. you, you that can one, yeah. also say that M word. I accept this. <laughs> That's the M word you accept. Um, mm-hmm. but like, like you've already said, like the crafting system is extremely depth. There are actual side quests in this game, which there haven't. There's been a couple on and off, like with the shopkeeper and Portrait of Ruin, but none to the degree of like 
I know they're mostly fetch quests, but it's quite fun because it unlocks more items that you might need for other quests and things like that. You know, Miriam, you can dress Miriam up and change her hairstyle. This is extremely important. There are giant cats that pop through the wall. There are dismembered dog heads. There are some really fun areas of the castle. Like, like you know, you've already listed off some of the classics. I would like to ask... Why does the castle need three sorcery labs? That I don't is one know. of my strangest things. There is an area where all the enemies are giant, which and then there's an ice cave as well, which is maybe a bit underutilized, but you know. I think the ice um, cave is the cold storage where they keep the vampire coffins they really don't want opening up. Exactly, yeah. And uh, you know, the story is total ham. Like I don't really care about it. You have it. to you have to discover photography and talk to a vampire librarian to get to make an ID card <laughs> to to swipe to swipe through the gate of a demon train and then ride the demon train around in a circuit for a while uh, and get get off of it before it, it crashes or explodes I forget which. It, <laughs> that, that's not something that's not your granddad's Castlevania game. <laughs> but no, exactly. it's um it, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is definitely Igarashi trying to make a new Igavania and I am so happy at how it turned out. It is really, really fun. Particularly surprising, given that Metroidvanias are basically the indie genre darling. Like, yeah, all the time. There was like, a bunch how of how many of them have there been over the last ten years? A bunch of good ones. Like, uh, and I mean, I mean, Time Spinner and uh, Shadow Complex alone make makes me feel like it's justified as a genre. And uh, and Igarashi, you know, coming back after I don't know how long, six, seven years. Um, from working with Konami, he's like, "All right, let me show all these kids how it's done." <laughs> and uh, and I'll, they brought back Michiru Yamane to do the, to do the soundtrack. They yeah. brought back the original voice ca- uh, voice actor of Alucard to voice the vampire librarian. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and he is such a good idea. Yeah, and they also bring in David Hayter to be a uh, to be a um, a demon hunting samurai, and 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 he's great. It's <sighs> there's there's so much and like you, you like you feel Igarashi sort of in his element making this game while also throwing up two giant middle fingers to Konami on the way out the door. It, and and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, uh, this is a great video game. It was the year of middle fingers to Konami. Mm-hmm. Certainly was. I, I want to yeah. read that. If I could read Japanese, I would want to read whatever text chain is happening between Igarashi and Kojima. Because, <laughs> you, you know, it was definitely getting spicy around August or so. Just, I just imagine, yeah, the entire the entire month of August was just them messaging, girl, girl. <laughs> I know, like just back and forth. Yeah, lots of whip crack, time. lots of whip crack emojis from Igarashi. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm certain, of, I'm certain of it. <laughs> How do you think Norman Reedus feels knowing that the entire world has seen his butt now? I think he's fine with it. I honestly don't think he has a problem with it. I've seen Norman Reedus's butt so many times now from playing through Death Stranding that like it's just like it just doesn't even register. It's just like a, it's a part of me now, you know. Like <laughs> my butt <laughs> is a part of me. <laughs> yeah, it's the most just... prof- profound thing ever said in an RPG fan podcast. I, I, I've seen Norman Reedus's butt more than my own, you know. Like it's just this. Norman Reedus's butt is a part of all of us now. <laughs> Into the life stream. <laughs> it's a circle of life. Uh, but let's talk about something besides Norman Reedus's But uh, the website doesn't cover Death Stranding, perhaps regrettably. Uh, what's something else we absolutely have to talk about? I mean, would you like another, not Kickstarter game, but would you like another game that was funded online that I really liked? And I think I might be one of the only people who's played it on the site. Oh? I don't know. 
Where Indivisible? You... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. Um, yeah, I was really Indivisible. intrigued by that, especially because it has a uh, a pretty insanely diverse um, source of inspiration for its character designs. Yeah, and uh, oh, so, so, so number one, the character designs, and number two, um, they are really trying to scratch that Valkyrie profile itch with the gameplay. Definitely, yeah. I mean, Indivisible was funded on Indiegogo, so a similar situation. Um, it's made by some of the people who made Skullgirls, um, Hiroki Kikuta, the composer of Secret of Mana, Trials of Mana, et al. Mm, and and, uh, on and one of the showrunners for uh, um, Sh- for Kudelka and Shadowhearts. Correct, yes. Yeah. Um, so there's a big pedigree behind it, and um, I think it largely lives up to a lot of the namesake. Um, I adored it. Because of the cultural representation, I think it's extremely authentic. A lot of the development team are from those areas or have some kind of knowledge and passion of those areas and that mythology from it's majoritively Southeast Asia, but you do have cultures from yep. like South, South America. Uh, uh, yeah, South like, Asia and Southeast Asia and, yep. and South and Latin America. And most importantly of all, of course, there's a common writer character, which... Oh my god, though, he's so good! When you, when you showed me an image of him, I, I think my eyes popped out of my head uh, like, like, a, like a Tex Avery wolf character chasing after Droopy Dog. Uh, that was... Yeah. The, 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 these character designs are awesome. I'd forgotten about him, and while I was reviewing it, I came across <laughs> him, and he turns up, and when he turns up, he goes, I'm here! And I'm like... Oh my god. And then every time he leaves, I go, I'm gone. And then he runs off or disappears. And I'm just like, this is it. This is the best character in this game. You can't tell me anything else. Um, Japanese superheroes are a delight. And this is clearly a character written by a fan who loves tokusatsu like like a true fan does. I, I have zero doubt about it. Yeah, but like I think that's my favorite thing about this game. Other than like I enjoy the combat. I love the platforming because... It is kind of a Metroidvania in a sense. Um, the maps are all segmented, so you have like five different areas. Um, as you learn more skills, you can go and collect more um, items and go further in the story and so on and so forth. Uh, but like the characters, the world, the visuals, oh my god, the visuals are stunning. Like hand-drawn art is one of my favorite things anyway, like hand-drawn cartoons. They nail it. Like, it's some of my fate. Like, it just brings so much expression and so much life into the characters. Like, some of them only get like t- maybe 10 lines of dialogue. They get a side quest each. But just by using them in battle and the way that they move, you get so much personality out of them. Like, there's a. I know there's something like 15 or 20 of them. There's 24, I believe. Yikes! Um, there with two more to be added as part of free DLC and also additional characters from other games. So Shovel Knight is going to be in there. <laughs> Yacht Club <laughs> Yacht Club Games is excited to put Shovel Knight in everything in in a I way know. that in a way that's very amusing and not cheap. There's awesome. a character from Skullgirls as well going to be in there. Oh, um, which one? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Do, do you know Do you know what her weapon was? Or because I, I played a little bit of Skullgirls. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm afraid I only played a bit as well. So. I, I mained Parasol for the many, many Skullgirls fans in our audience, of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a few like cameo characters popping in and things like that, so it'll be really good. But yeah, like just the fluidity and the movement of each character gives them so much personality. The combat is very Valkyrie profile. It's very RPG light though. Like all stats are tied to Ajna, who is the main character. There's no level system. There's no upgrading of stats. So really, it's just like if you collect certain items, your like party level goes up. Um, but there's plenty of collecting and plenty of like, you know, the combat is very definitely Valkyrie profile, mixed up with some 
fighting games, beat em up style stuff. So like, you're already tapping on three genres that I'm like really deep into. So I'm okay. already like halfway there. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the DLC right now. Go and for it. Uh, we have the Red, the main character of Transistor, Shantae from the Shantae video games, oh, Sho yeah. Shovel Knight, uh, Baz from Dive Kick, Zakasaurus from Time Force. Uh, Juan, the main character of, of of Guacamelee. Oh my god! And uh, and Annie from Skullgirls, who's who's not my favorite Skullgirls character. I, I think I'm I'm she might have been from a later version of the game that I didn't play. I, I'm struggling to remember what Annie was like, but the, <laughs> both eyebrows are up. Right? <laughs> that's that's really fascinating. It's superb. I can't wait to see how they implement them. Um. So yeah, I think Indivisible is really worth picking up. It is due a Switch port like most things eventually um it didn't happen because it got it was a late switch um in the design and the development process again similar to bloodstained like it was originally going to be on the wii u it was added and then swapped um but it's going through some patches at the moment because there are some things that aren't as clear like there's no real tutorial for the combat um, it is pretty in-depth when you get to it like you can only there's only like three or four attack buttons but like depending on well, there's four characters in the party in, like, X square, triangle, circle. Like, Valkyrie profile is an addendum to each character. So they are adding, like, tutorials and things, and every character does play very differently. So a lot of I had to do a lot of experimenting to find out what worked. But I think it's certainly worth picking up or even trying out a demo and seeing if you're interested because, damn, it's polished. And it just put a big smile on my face, which I think is one of the best things you can say about anything well it's one of the best things i think excellent um i i have read and seen a lot of indivisible stuff but it came out in the fall when i was really busy with different things including po uh, multiple podcast projects so i i regrettably was unable to get to it but uh you have a, a review on the site alana and um i was really excited by a lot of the character designs i saw in indivisible so i will get to it eventually let's see what else is on the list that we definitely want to hit um did want to give a shout out to uh, Disco Elysium, which has oh, become yes. a game which I will have to play at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a game that's developed in, oh shoot, it was in Eastern Europe. I think the writer is from Poland. It, it's about sort of a, um, a, a metropolis that uh, recently had a failed communist revolution, and, uh, and you're a detective trying to solve a pretty elaborate mystery. It, it plays like a classic CRPG from the... Uh, from the you know Icewind Dale Planescape Torment era, and it incorporates stats and character building in ways that are very very smart, uh, mm -hmm. and and people are saying it's, it's one of the best playing sort of dialogue heavy RPGs of, of the past several years. So, yeah. uh, so so you know something like a Pillars of Eternity, if it was urban and modern and had just incredible dialogue. There's no, yeah. there's no combat, is there? Yeah, there's no there's no combat in it. There are stat checks where you like mm -hmm. you can build your strength and inter yeah. and, and intimidation stats and then fight someone, but it's it's strictly stat checks and dice rolls and and not a, and not a and, and not systemic combat. Exactly, which I think is which one appeals to me, and two I think is really going to help this game age well along with its art style, which it has a very distinctive, fantastic art style, but I think not having a combat, like a dedicated combat system is really going to help this game age well because the art and the combat are the two biggest um, 
basically the two biggest criticisms of Planescape Torment 20 years later. You know, people will still give a lot of credit to the writing. The people are like, the visuals. One, it's going to be coming to consoles in 2020 at least. Um, PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, be great if they put on Switch too. But it's definitely something that I have to play now for um, how interesting it looks and for the fact that at the Game Awards when they won Best Narrative, I believe, they <laughs> they thanked Marx and Engels for political, uh, for political education. So, like, I read an interview with Robert Kurvitz, who um, was kind of the lead uh, developer on... Um, Disco Elysium, and he had a. I really liked what he had said when he compared, in a way, the attempts of Emil Sola to kind of capture culture. He said it's a really lofty ambition to try to uh, capture the culture zeitgeist or try to win it for particular uh, political means, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. They're coming from an unusual place because these are people who have a lot of communist and socialist ideas that were also that are also from places that had a that had a failed communist state uh ruling over them for decades they'll they'll see the i don't want to say strengths and weaknesses but they'll see like they have ideas about these political ideologies experientially different than we would have them as uh as as um as americans and as Brit- and as british people so um, so it's a perspective that I am really interested to hear. And uh, let me just describe to you one encounter from the game that I think can happen at different points. But uh, but uh, the person that I was um, uh, I was reading the article about said it happened early for them. There's a uh, a place you have to go that has a large sort of bouncer or bodyguard defending it. And you can if you have a very high strength or intimidation score, you can try fighting him. But it needs to be, but it needs to be very high, and you'll probably lose. The other option to get by him is to listen to him talk, and this guy has a lot of very racist and fascist ideas. To get by him, you basically have to li- list, listen to him say weird his weird racist conspiracy theories for several minutes, <laughs> and then this is not this is not set in a in a real world place. So like they're what they have for racism is not is not you know to the nationalities or races that we have in, in on planet earth today. It's, it's its own world of things. But, uh, but if you're, if you have an intellect or persuasiveness score high enough, you can sway him a little bit and ha- cause him to rethink his ideas. <laughs> so, so building your characters in different ways, you can either fight to get this person or, uh, get this person to have a change of heart or, still get by him without either of those things, but you have to listen to weird racist creeds for six or seven minutes. That's to be for an RPG to put you into that dialogue situation is just fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I like, it makes me want to experience that interaction for myself. And also like when you do your, some of your character creation stuff at the beginning at the, uh, you can wipe away the dust, the um, smears off your mirror to see what you look like in the mirror. Uh, or you can not do that and have a sort of a blank space where your sort of facial appearance spot is for the rest of the game (laughs) without, without a visualization of your sense of self with which can affect gameplay. Like things like that are just awesome and and make me want to play this game. But alas, I haven't, I don't think anyone on this podcast has. So this is largely speculation, but, but exciting and intriguing speculation. We do have a glowing review up on the site. Yes. One of the highest rated reviews on the, the year. It's only behind um, 
Shadowbringers. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to Shadowbringers, but there's one other. Uh, so so that's a uh, most of Disco Elysium, which is a, also two very strange nouns to gather together uh, for a title. But evidently it is. It, it. Yeah, evidently it is yeah, um, justified in a way. Um, I want to talk about another high reviewed game on the site before we get to Shadowbringers. Um, Alana, you and I recently played through AI: The Somnium Files. Yeah. Uh, Audra gave that game, I think, a ninety-four. Correct. And this uh, choice. Yeah, and and it's it's another com it's another uh, it's another big comeback. Uh, this is Uchi Koshi's first big game since uh, ver- uh, Zero Escape uh, Zero, Zero Time, Time Dilemma. Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh boy, it's good. Uh, uh, visually, it's better than the Zero Escape trilogy. It has a very nice, tightly designed murder mystery that had me. 100% invested from the get-go. Uh, the resolution is great. Most of the characters and dialogue are awesome. I was completely transfixed for the 25 or 30 hours playtime of this uh, visual novel slash adventure game. Uh, you know, it, it, it's in that spectrum somewhere. I, I don't know exactly which w- what would be the better um, place to put it, but it, it was awesome. Uh, Alana, what jumped out uh, to you on AI The Somnium Files? I think... I wasn't expecting it to have so much really outstanding characters. Like, there are some really strong character moments in this game. And I'm coming to this as someone who's never played the Zero Escape series. I will be fixing that. Do not worry. Um, (laughs) But, like, I I just wasn't really expecting, like, some in-depth... I mean, Mizuki, who is um, your... Not adopted daughter, but she's uh, the main character, Kanami Date's roommate. Um, she's the daughter of, like, two of his... A friend of his, um, who he's looking after. Oh my god, she kicks butt. Like, she's one of the best child characters in any video game ever. Like, she just rules. Um, and I think, like, the atmosphere is a really... It's really hard to balance humor with um, kind of shock. Like, Ego the Somnium Files is a dark game there are some chilling moments i mean i mean you're you're investigating serial murders and there are confrontations with you know uh corpses arranged horribly and the and the killer uh themselves who's you know uh, who's a bit of a monster mm. but yeah the dialogue and character work is outstanding in this game yeah like some of the humor does get a bit annoying like i've had enough of listening to porno magazines yeah Uh, Yeah, porno um, magazine humor is a shockingly important part of this game at least four or five times. (laughs) Yeah. It was funny the first time, but not the other times. Um, But yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I was just totally gripped. Like, I had to know what was happening. Kind of similar to Danganronpa. Like, I can't really pin my finger on, like, what the one thing is. The writing is really outstanding. Um, But I just, I was just totally absorbed and... It's really hard because I can't really say anything beyond things. Yeah, we absolutely don't want to spoil this game uh, because it's uh, some of the twists are very, very powerful. But um, but uh, you're basically a detective investigating these serial murders and uh, the, all of the victims have had a, their eye removed. So the killer is called the Cyclops Killer and, and possibly connected. Six years ago, you mysteriously lost your eye for uh, unknown reasons. So you have a little AI uh, eyeball in your missing eye socket. And your AI is a a very, very sassy lady named Iba. She's great. I love Iba. I do too. And uh, she gives you some special abilities like being able to zoom in long distances or uh, see through some rudimentary x-ray with your uh, robot eye and uh, and do things like uh, computer-level calculations and and analysis, uh, which which is nice for an adventure game gimmick. And also when uh, you have an unwilling suspect or... um, 
uh, or an unwilling subject, or in one case, a, uh, a young girl who's traumatized, you can use a special machine to enter to put someone to sleep, and uh, and then enter their dream and see if they can if they convey information from the crime they saw or a secret they're hiding by going through their dream Inception style. Right. Which is and and those dream places which are called somnia or somniums maybe uh, are basically the game's puzzle stages like the escape rooms in the Zero Escape series and and they're they're a little less puzzly but uh, but very visually distinct and very atmospheric they're, they're like they're less focused on puzzle mechanics like they were in Zero Escape and more focused on the storytelling and the atmosphere and it is awesome like like this is a puzzle adventure game that's a little light on puzzle but very heavy on the writing and drama and it is awesome i loved ai the somnium files me too i did not expect to love it as much as i did but there you go i guess i shouldn't have doubted because uchikoshi is already really highly regarded amongst you guys so. oh yeah oh yeah. yeah i love 999 and vlr and uh like ztd a little bit less but uh th- this is th- this is among uchikoshi's best work and it's it's excellent I will get to it probably early next year. It's on my list. Very cool. Uh, Peter, is there something on the list uh, that you uh, want to address? Because I know you have to leave soon, dude. I feel like uh, we should probably do a quick mention of uh, of the Link's Awakening remake. Yeah. Like, uh, hey, that is... That game is totally the same 1993 game that I loved decades ago, uh, but it's now it's beautiful and still awesome. I feel like if they're... I, I think preserving like these older games and updating them for a modern audience is like is a really is a really important thing so i'm just excited that like Link's awakening gets to see like a bit of a wider audience and i'm hoping they do they give the oracle games a similar treatment yeah that's the way it goes i i love the oracle games and wouldn't mind that remake uh, uh either and other than visually this is basically the same game i don't think they changed any of the puzzles in a meaningful way they added a couple treasure chests and caves here and there uh, and of course, you don't have. To, they gave dedicated buttons to the sword, shield, um, power glove, and Pegasus boots, or I should say, power bracelet and Pegasus boots. So you don't have to do quite as much item switching as you did in the two-button interface of the Game Boy. Uh, you, you have six buttons for items instead of two. That alone is just a, a huge improvement. Oh yes, the, the, the biggest improvement is not having to switch to your Pegasus boots and power bracelet all the time. But uh, even on top of that, this is the same really excellent Game Boy game. But it looks beautiful. Like all the characters look like amiibos, and I say that as someone who owns exactly two amiibos and doesn't love amiibos but loves the look of this game. <laughs> yeah, they're adorable. And speaking of adorable, shout out to Marin, one of the best Zelda NPCs ever. She is just great, and they made her just as great as uh, as she deserves to be in this pretty remake. It's a nice Zelda game to remake after how different Breath of the Wild was. Um, oh yeah. Like, mechanically, Link's Awakening is obviously very similar to other top-down Zelda games. With apologies it, to Nathan, who I know is more of a Breath of the Wild fan and less of a Link's Awakening fan. Link's Awakening is probably still one of the mo- more bizarre games in the series. I haven't played it. I haven't played the original. I oh, it's so it. weird. Yeah, yeah. like, the writing in it is maybe one of the best, like, because I don't think Zelda games are really known for their story or the writing, but Link's Awakening is a uh, kind of famously, like... I don't know whether it's a joke or a real thing, but is it not semi-inspired by Twin Peaks or it, something? No, like, it, it is, and it's um, cool. it's it's sometimes uh, absurdist and uh, and sort of unreliable narrator in ways that are really interesting. And in the second half of the game, you sort of see the dark outline of the of the larger story. I don't know if the tone changes, but it uh, it 
the, the writing in this game is good, especially for a Game Boy game, and it, they preserve almost everything from the Game Boy game. Like it, again, except for some, except for mechanical, a few mechanical and visual changes, this feels like the same game. And this, and this is a beloved game that was hampered only mechanically and visually. So it's, it's great. Um, if, if you love Link's Awakening, uh, and are willing to replay it do that. If you love Zelda and haven't played Link's Awakening, this is now the version to do. I, I, I played through it and it took me less than a week, I think. Because it, again, it's, it, like Link's Awakening is not a terribly long or elaborate game. But I absolutely loved it. it it's a, it's an excellent remake. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I gotta play it still. Maybe one day. Uh, speaking of remakes, um, Dragon Quest Eleven had a remake, I think, just a few weeks after Link's Awakening. Um... No, I think they were within a week. Yeah, yeah, they they, they, were within a week of each other. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, yeah, maybe the same month even. So, uh, this is the Switch remake of Dragon Quest XI, which was a PS4 and D and 3DS game in Japan, but uh, the rest of the world only got the PS4 version. The Switch version lets you play with the uh, 16-bit style 3DS visuals or the beautiful 3D visuals of the PS4 version. Um, and also give you a handful of extras and uh, and quality of life changes, m- not the least of which is a fully orchestrated soundtrack instead of the ugly midis that were um, in the original PS4 version. The, the one black spot in an otherwise outstanding, amazing RPG, uh, my game of the year from last year. But uh, yeah, this port is excellent. It's called Definitive Edition, and I think it is the Definitive Edition. So if you haven't played it, then get to playing that version because I adore Dragon Quest XI. I, 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 mean, I mean, I did a whole spoiler cast on it uh, at, at, the, at the very first episode of, tw- of Retro Encounter in 2019, and here I am still talking about it in the last episode of Retro Encounter in 2019. <laughs> it's on my list, but yeah, just because I played it so recently, as like a year ago, I put it off. And, but I will get it, definitely, because it is the definitive version you've got that 2d version within there and you've got the better soundtrack you have mm. tons of new quests and i think it being portable will help a ton as well because dragon quest 11 is 70 hours if you don't do everything 100 hours if you do do everything so guess which of those two ways i went i went about it <laughs> yeah so um and i haven't played the switch version either for that exact reason i played this game for 105 hours in 2018 and uh, and I, I got a platinum trophy. I adored it, but I don't need to play that again less than a year later. I mean, I've held off on it for now. I will I will eventually want to replay that and get the Switch version. But uh, for for Dragon Quest fans more hardcore than I or new players to this game, the Switch version is the way to go. It, it looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. So I would agree. I I played it on Switch. It is the definitive version. Definitely captures that the. The orchestrated soundtrack um, on its own is bright and excellent. It sounds great. Um, it runs it runs rather well on Switch. Um, you know, it is um, it does have dynamic resolution, so it mm-hmm. can be a bit fuzzy. Yeah, some, sometimes uh, sometimes in three D, if you're doing it handheld in the three D version, uh, the textures will get weird at certain draw distances. But that, that, that's mm-hmm. just that's just a a normal limitation for switch handheld mode sometimes. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's still um it's still a good looking game and it's still an impressive port. My issues with the game more are more just on the the level of the game. In terms of in terms of technical stuff though, it 
like the orchestrated soundtrack didn't always gel perfectly into the game. Like there, it there would just be times when it, it felt like this game needed more tracks because well, yeah. Because yeah. Oh no, the, 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 that's that's an that's okay. an, that's an issue with the PS4 version as well. Yeah, there were just moments when the soundtrack would be playing this really uplifting melody, and I'm like, this is completely at odds with the story. I don't understand why you're keeping this in. I, uh, I don't understand why they're keeping this in is also my exact feelings on the composer of Dragon Quest. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't let someone, you know, wipe away war crimes. Anyway, um, but I... I played about 40 hours of it and then I dropped it, which, um, which is only one of two games that I dropped in 2019. Woo. Um, it, it felt to me a bit like sword and shield in a way where I didn't feel a whole lot of, um, personality from it. And that's, I mean, this is completely subjective. I know a lot of people really love this game. You're talking oh, to one right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I didn't really feel that it drew me in, um, that it drew me in terribly well with it, and that's and it's probably more so that I'm that I'm not really going to be a Dragon Quest fan, and teach their own. I think that's just what it's what it's going to be. But I can say, even with that, and it's not being very high up on this game, I can say that if you do like um, Yuji Horii's game design and you like Dragon Quest. This is a very good port, and it is it is really splendidly done in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, this is not a surprise to anyone. I think this is one of my favorite games of the past decade, and this is the best way to play that game. So uh, that is about as much of a vote of uh, confidence or a, uh, as, as I can give. But, uh, again, this is a 2018 game, and this is supposed to be a 2019 podcast. So, uh, Alana, let's talk about a, 2017, a, t- a 2007 game. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about a brand new a port. I think this is where we're going. Yeah, um, I, I think we're doing a couple ports in a row right now. Uh, and, right. and this is one that we also covered earlier in the year. Uh, Tales of Vesperia got a definitive edition port uh, in January or February. Uh, recording those podcasts with you and Steph, and then another one with uh, another one with Rob Fenner, um, just really had me feeling the tales love in February of this year. Uh, tales of Vesperia is one of the high points of the whole series, and the port was excellent. And uh, yeah. uh, and, and I'm not talking about wine; I'm talking about this this very game. This this game, the the, the uh, it had a bunch of additions that were from the PS3 version of Vesperia because Vesperia started out as a 360 game. It had an extended port on the on the PS3 a year or two later, and this is an HD remaster of that PS3 version, which means we get uh, we get a very cute pirate girl, and we get to use more Flynn, and that's that's more than enough for me. Like Flynn and pirates, yes. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the changes are towards the end of the game. Patty yes. joined you a few times, but it's definitely the right version of the game to pick up and play. Like, it improves on the Xbox version tenfold. There are more spells, more arts, more everything. There's more story scenes. There's And, and like, like you said, the content of the new version is a little backloaded. Uh, yeah. But and, and uh, if you avoid a lot of the extra content, it'll basically just be the same uh, 360 game, but with two characters, two new characters joining late. But it's 
but but I mean, this is still one of the best RPGs of the twenty ten of the two thousands. Now uh, updated for the twenty tens. For definite, yeah, I think. Well, Vesperia is one of my favorites in the series, and I think mine too. Mm-hmm. It is it is the split game. Like I think it is the last game that fans generally agree is one of the best. And then there's a lot of mixed opinions between Graces and Hearts, Graces, and then onwards to Berseria, which... Berseria and, 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 and Zillia. Zillia is a, a, bit, a yeah. bit divisive, too. Um, Exilia is mm-hmm. the mixed bag for everybody. <laughs> like, uh, uh, I, I think yeah. Vesperia is interesting, because it's the last one of the TP-heavy battle system uh, Tales games, and the ones the Tales games that came after it, uh, pro- probably contributing to why there uh, there's mixed reactions to them, went to combat that didn't use a depleting resource system like MP or TP, and they and focused more on combos. And Exilia well, uh, has TP, but 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 not. But you're not running out of TP all, all the time, like like you are in Vesperia or or Abyss. Yeah, the link system helps with that definitely. Yes. but yeah, it's still TP heavy. So so in a way, this is like the last of the old tales, first of the new tales. But also mm-hmm. one of one of the most enduring, pop, uh, enduringly popular ones in the whole series, and uh, and we got an awesome PS4 slash Switch slash maybe other systems I'm forgetting port of it. Everything. It oh yeah, it everything. was on everything. Awesome. So yeah, uh, if you have a video game playing refrigerator, get Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition for it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, Nathan, Peter, and Joe. I don't know how, how you've probably played fewer Tales games than Alana and I have, <laughs> but please take our word for it that this is this is one of the better ones. Yeah, the, uh, like I believe that. Like everyone talks about Tales of Vesperia, and like pretty much whenever everyone brings up Tales, everyone talks about Vesperia. So, yeah. I mean, I have the port. It's sitting on my uh, on my desk. Well, maybe at some point I'll be able to get to it. And I think I think I am rehashing uh, points we made from the podcast months and months ago but the main character of tales of vesperia won so many character fan polls they had to retire him from competition yuri and leon from tales of destiny and yeah. eventually ludger from exilia too i think yeah as the, well. those are the three that were winning so many fan polls that they just had to retire them and they're on the mount rushmore of tales of protagonists uh officially but yeah. uh but yeah vesperia great character work uh great, very good writing satisfying action um, a very, a pretty early in his career, uh, this is an early Troy Baker role, uh, before even he was Kanji in Persona 4. Yeah, and before Kanji and before Snow in Final Fantasy XIII as and, well. And also, and also before, um, uh, before he was Valva Torres in Disgaea 4. Like, this is when he yeah. was sort of, this was before he was one of the go-to leading men in anime and video, and anime-styled video games. This is, this is early Troy Baker. It's one of the best dub. I think it's probably the best dub in the series. It's I would it's, say. it's an excellent dub start to finish, and uh, yeah. um, it's it's a great RPG. And if you haven't already played it, uh, the 2019 definitive edition is the way to play it. Uh, so let's talk oh, about Shadowbringers. Um, Shadowbringers is the third expansion to Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV famously star- uh, started the decade in 2010, was so terrible that it was completely axed. They literally had a meteor fall on the world in-game, and you could see the world end while logged into the game if you wanted. <laughs> then they, the game was reborn as FF14 A Realm Reborn in 2013. And that was more successful, and, it's still, and that version of FF14 is still around. And then it had expansions in 2015, 2017, and then 2019 with Shadowbringers. And um, I don't want to speak for the entire FF14 community, 
but this is the best FF14 has ever been. Uh, I think you are speaking for most of them. <laughs> for, a, for a lot of them. Um, I got into FF14 a little bit late. I started playing it in 2016, then had a very brief, intense romance with it for about six months, um, playing through m- almost all of the Realm Reborn content. I st- uh, but then when the Shadow Hearts... And then I didn't play the game for about two and a half years. And when the Shadowbringers hype was starting to build up, uh, a couple months before Shadowbringers came out, I, uh, I started paying for it again. Uh, it, it is a subscription game. And picked up where I left off, and then beat the entire Heavensward and Stormblood uh, expansions, and played the beginning of Shadowbringers. Uh, Shadowbringers is level seventy to level eighty content, and my main and my character's uh, main class is at level seventy-two. So that that's I'm early in Shadowbringers, but holy hell, uh, both the quality of life changes made. The, the all of the all of the action and all of the classes, I mean, all of the jobs have been streamlined and play better better than ever. And the balance is not perfect, but it's, but good. And and there's more things for people to do than ever. There, if you don't want to do the main quest or or uh, or trials or raids, there is an unthinkable number of um, side activities and side quests and uh, and and whole gather uh, gathering professions. And an entire casino, uh, a lot of PvP. It's a theme park of things to do. But the main feature, that roller coaster at the center of the theme park, is the Shadowbringers storyline, which is awesome. I I was I, I was dumbfounded the whole time, and uh, and I know a little bit about what happens in the game, but I'm going to avoid spoilers. Uh, this is this is a a Caitlin Argyros question, if there ever was one. But uh, the, the story, the main story of Shadowbringers, the level seventy to level eighty stuff, is as dramatic and as well written as any Final Fantasy game has been for the last twenty years. Like to, to get to to get to get to a villain I like more than Emmett Selk, or uh, or side character or um, like uh, core action that I like more than uh, the Shadowbringers dungeons I've done. You have to go back to FF Nine. That is, and again, my, my Final Fantasy fandom is mostly rooted in the nineties, like FF Four through FF Nine. But this is, I think, the best. Final Fantasy has been since its 90s heyday, in my opinion. So if you are uh, not interested in 2010's Square Enix or not interested in playing an MMO, I understand. Uh, These are personal choices. But Shadowbringers is awesome. And uh, it's also maybe the most fantasy-like Final Fantasy game in a long time because the story of Shadowbringers, uh, avoiding some spoilers, but not, not for the first few minutes of the game, uh, some level 70 quests between Stormblood and Shadowbringers basically um, have several main characters transported to this to this new world. And you meet some characters from this new world in 2015 and 2016 quests. Uh, uh, the, the, those are the, the that's the, uh, Alana, you might have played these. This is the Warriors of Darkness storyline. Yes, I have played yeah. that one. So they bring back some NPCs from 2015, 2016, you travel to their world and their world is, was a world like yours. And in fact, started out like thousands of years earlier. It was a parallel world with a lot of the same features, but in those intervening thousands of years, uh, it evolved differently and changed differently. So you'll see landmarks and cities that you'll remember from the FF14 main game, but they're twisted and different because this world has been under siege by monsters, uh, by, well, by, by monsters of light, uh, f- um, for centuries, and in the FF14 main game, you're fighting a lot of mon- uh, of creatures of darkness, like Void Scent. But in this new world, you have to 
like like use the power instead of you being a warrior of light fighting against darkness you're you have to become a warrior of darkness <laughs> fighting <laughs> fighting forces of light and it is so twisted and crazy and the world feels like like alien compared to the main stage of ff14 and the deeper i got in the more fascinated i was it's a bold choice. Uh, you're also um, fighting fascism and income and uh, and sort of uh, inequality in in a few of these areas in particular. Uh, they bring back a lot of story threads and a few specific characters from uh, content in the 2013 to 2016 range. And uh, the the end game raids are full of Final Fantasy nostalgia. Um, the the signature raid is based on the Eden uh, summon from Final Fantasy VIII and has an awesome remake of uh, of uh, of the FF8 boss theme. And the uh, the Alliance raid is uh, has characters and music from Near Automata of all things. And the storyline mm-hmm. for that raid is written by uh, the popular Yoko, uh, Yoko Taro from the Near series. So this is a fan service festival. And an incredibly good RPG in its own right. Uh, I, I gave you only the barest of breadcrumbs of story uh, at, at the beginning there, but everything I've played feels like the best Final Fantasy I've played in years. And I am on break from FF14 now because it was taking over my life a little bit. <laughs> but I am going to start it again in 2020, and it will probably be one of the first 2020 video games I finish, I think. Because I am chomping at the bit to return to this thing i just need to get to a di- i need to get to a specific place in my life and uh and set aside some time to do so because it's it's mmos are time consuming and and shadowbringers is no exception but it's also i think maybe the best mmo expansion either of all time or at least since the peak of world of warcraft around the frozen throne era are are both y'all playing on pc with that I am playing on PC, but it doesn't matter how you play because all versions of the game have crossplay. Caitlin is a PS4 main, and I play on the Steam version, which is separate from the native PC version. But mm-hmm. uh, all of those versions can play in the same dungeons and do this and do the same content together. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, because I was at some point I was going to pick it up for um, and play it on PS4 Pro. Um, yeah, but I need to. Uh, work. I need to get through some other Final Fantasy content before that, so, or I want to at least. I don't need to, but I will. Yeah, and th- there's so much Final Fantasy content in FF14. I'll just to give you a, a, the tiniest of tastes. Um, the trial series in in Heaven's Word are for, uh, three important bosses from Final Fantasy VI. The uh, signature raid in Stormblood is a one of the super bosses from Final Fantasy V. Uh, the recently announced trial series for level 80 for Shadowbringers are a couple bosses in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, yeah, one of the raids from Final um, from uh, Stormblood. There's too many SBs. Um, yep, <laughs> is also Evilise, which is Final Fantasy uh, Tactics and Final Fantasy XII. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the Alliance raid at level 70. And very tendentially, uh, Vagrant story. Yes, it is. Yes. We can we go into the vagrant story position within the Evil East timeline <laughs> a little bit from some in some November podcasts if you remember that show. Uh yeah, I think I might. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, Final Fantasy 14 is an outstanding MMO with a really deep and lengthy story that celebrates Final Fantasy and tells its own story, and Shadowbringers is the best version of this. I, like the uh the fan base was recently revealed to have hit 18 million, the highest it's ever been. So you will definitely be able to find people to run dungeons with you. Um that is almost the population of the state of New York. <laughs> wow, yeah. Like I I was trying to knock out some 
some 2013 content. Uh, this is o- over the summer that barely anyone would ever need to because no one needs these items anymore. Maybe, uh, but I was able to find to find groups for that because there's people that just want to be playing all of FF14 right now, and because the the um, in-game population is very high, uh, now is the best time to be playing it. Shadowbringers is awesome. And I think that's all she wrote. Uh, otherwise, we don't, I don't want this to turn into a Shadowbringers podcast. Like, we had a couple random encounters in a row uh, in the summer being. <laughs> but we're uh, almost done here. We're, um, I, I don't want to, this podcast to be over long. Is there anything else we absolutely must cover before we, uh, before we, we close? Because, I mean, there's a lot of games on this list. I'll give a shout out to Cadence of Hyrule for being the strangest combination ever. <laughs> um, yeah, Zelda spin-off not made by Nintendo. That's and and a, based. yeah, well, now's the time for shout-outs. Um, let's shout out Judgment, which is made by the Yakuza team, but is uh, has the main character of the popular Japanese drama Hero from the early two thousands, and is a uh, is a and you're a martial arts detective solving a mystery. Uh, Nathan or Joe, do you have any shout-outs? Um, shout out to shout out to Neocab. Um, which, um, which I think, um, I haven't played it myself, but I've listened to, um, interviews and read interviews with, uh, with one of the creators of it, Patrick Ewing, not the basketball player. Um, man, um, uh, apparently he gets it a lot. Um, I bet he does. But it seems to be a really fascinating look at the gig economy and how difficult it is to, um, to get by and oh, much so, uh, less to, to thrive within the confines of the gig economy. In so that's a, that, that uh, that's a little bit like cart life, or maybe even pa- papers, please. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. um, yeah. I I definitely see quite a bit of similarity to papers, please. I think it's a little um, papers, please is a very upsetting game. <laughs> so is it's, cart life. It's, the, the, it's the, uh, ex- the, the basically the moral of the story in cart life is no matter how much you work you have to sacrifice something in order to survive in this economy <laughs> yeah yeah and um it seems neocab kind of takes um a similar route to this and um and yeah i i think it's it's a game that i definitely want to uh get around to because uh i think games are uniquely uh positioned to be able to tell these kinds of stories and to immerse uh people in them so Nathan, what do you want to shout out? Uh, give a shout out to Atelier Riza for, mm. I believe, kind of, it's not, not, I'm not sure if I should say reviving the series, but kind of renewing interest, because I've noticed that, like, online, a bunch of new people are picking up Atelier Riza. Yeah, I mean... Trying it out for the first time. This series did not need reviving, because it feels like a new Atelier game comes out every year, even though that's, that's not exactly the case. But this one, this one had a lot of positive buzz around it, and um, yeah. uh, people like our mutual friend Derek Heemsbergen who has played all or nearly all of those was uh was much more positive on this one than a few of its predecessors. So yeah, good on Atelier Riza for um for being a good one of those. Did uh, Alana or Joe, did you play that one? Didn't know. Um Atelier Riza is actually the third Atelier game to come out this year. So <laughs> You say annual, it's three this year. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's tri- the tri-annual not... Atelier series. Yeah, exactly. Actually, this is not even including the trilogy du- the port that was, that's coming out, I think. Like, the Dusk <laughs> trilogy on Switch. Yeah, the, the, it's coming this, soon. This smells like a few Japanese releases from different years getting localized in the same year. But but still, that's, I mean, that's not reducing the the... 
the, the, that's not you know spoiling the joke. That would be like a, a near annual series getting three in one year. Well, I mean, it's kind of like Yakuza at this point. I mean, you get Why? so many from shout from out ya- the... shout out Yakuza Remastered Collection, yeah. which is which are HD ports of Yakuza three, four, and five. <laughs> that yeah, leading okay, leading into twenty twenty. That's one of the things that I that I want to do is I want to. Um, is that I want to get into the Yakuza series and play a good chunk of them. So You know, um, you and I share that goal, Joe, because mm-hmm. I own copies of Yakuza 1 Kiwami and Yakuza 0. And I, mm-hmm. have, I have not played any Yakuza games except for uh, quite a bit of the Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise game from the Yakuza team. Oh. <laughs> which does not count, I think. So I, I also want to try and get into Yakuza in 2020. And, and you know, that's, I think that might be a good idea to end the podcast. Um, what's one RPG or video game goal that you have for 2020 that uh, each of the four of us can think of something um, that's you know can be a 2020 game or can be part of your backlog? Just uh, tell us one of your 2020 video game goals. I'll, I'll go first, and I already, I already uh, said Yakuza, so I'll switch to something else. I enjoy Zelda. I have played many Zelda games, but one I have barely ever scratched is Majora's Mask. And I have had copies of... I have have more than one copy of Majora's Mask to my name. I own it on a uh, GameCube disc and on 3DS. Uh, And I think I want to finally sit down and play Majora's Mask for the first time. Uh, That's going to be one of my 2020 goals. Uh, Does anyone else want to volunteer... Uh, for this, I, I feel I know I feel like an annoying uncle at, uh, at at Thanksgiving dinner asking people to share their New Year's resolutions. Uh, so, but but I'm but that's who I am right now. So, who who has a 2020 gaming goal to share? Um, so I guess I'll go next. Um, so one, I was actually thinking about this last night. So it's funny that you asked today. Uh, <laughs> so one of my 2020 goals is to play through the Trail series, at least through Cold Yeah, because mm-hmm. I have. <laughs> I have Cold Steel one and two just sitting on my desk. Oh, that and, counts. And uh, I'm just I'm just looking at them. It's like they're just, I just really just want to just like play them at some point once I have the time. So last night I think I just like put Cold Steel one into my PS4 just to make sure that whenever I log <laughs> in my PS4 now, that icon is right there. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. you're just making sure to download the updates ahead of time so you don't sit sit there on January first and have to wait an extra twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, so just making sure. So now, whenever I log into PS4, that icon's gonna be there, and I have to like look at it when I go into my PS4. So maybe I should put my copy of Majora's Mask next to my alarm clock or something to for employ to employ a similar strategy. <laughs> uh, it, it, it worked. I mean, it's been saying it for quite a while, but, it, but every single time I looked at it, I was just like, I really should just like put it in my PS4 at least and just you know get it on there to get my mind set for it. All right. Does anyone else have a? a video game resolution to share. I had already mentioned stuff about Yakuza, but um, but uh, I want to get through the rest of um, the mainline Final Fantasy series this mm-hmm. year because, um, as I've probably mentioned ad nauseum, I hadn't actually played a Final Fantasy game until, um, until this year. Um, and I, once again, I still will always wonder how the heck I got... I got on this site, um, which is wonderful. Um, but speaking that, like, I think during my interview, I was literally playing Chrono Trigger, and it was anyway. And, and um, you've knocked out several already, because I know you and I, I have did. had you and I have had conversations about uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy VI at least. Yeah, um, yeah, I played um, six, 
seven, eight, nine, and tactics this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Does so, all count? So next year, I want to do 10, 12, maybe 13, um, 10, 2, and 15. So Now, I have a problem immediately, Joe, because you did not say 4, 5, or 14 in that, in that uh, list at all. Well, 14, well, 14 is that's, – that's quotidian. Like that's going to have to be something <laughs> that's going to be a long – like a real long haul. And Excellent use of quotidian, and uh, 2020 is going to be the most quotidian video game year in a long time because we're getting more <laughs> Animal Crossing in 2020, oh gosh, yeah. which is the, which is the most quotidian of quotidian series. I just um, like saying quotidian. It's such a good word. Um, but um, four, but yeah, four and five. I wanted to start with six because I, I, I can appreciate like SNES era games and such, but I don't really have that nostalgia for it and it's not always my cup of tea don't kill me mike <laughs> uh, so so i will i will get around to them at some point i'm sorry all right <laughs> uh even if you ignore the 16 bitter older final fantasy games playing more of that series when you have only started playing so in 2019 is a noble goal and i appreciate you you're sharing that joe if we ever did a third gaming confessions episode i think we could probably just have joe talk for an hour and a half while i while i while i see that him oh my gosh yeah you just put me you just like just sat me down and you're like, okay, you're just going to talk for an hour about all your gaming sins. And I'm just going to be sitting by the microphone being like, and I never played a Trails game. And, and I never played past Final Fantasy IX. Like, <laughs> when, we, when we recorded the second one of those, I just struggled to think of a series I hadn't played. And I think Joe would have the opposite problem. Oh yeah, but no. uh, but, but that, that's enough clouding on on you, Joe. Uh, we wish <laughs> you have done so gracefully, and I appreciate it. Um, Alana, yeah. what's what's one twenty twenty gaming goal that you have? Um, well, I've referred to both. So, Kiseki, the wider, so Sky and Crossbell, probably somehow, definitely Sky. Um, because I think Cold Steel Four will probably hit the end of next year or early twenty twenty one. That's being positive because there was maybe 10 or 11 months between Cold Steel 1 and 2 in the West. So I'm hoping it's going to be a similar situation. I, I think um, this isn't – I guess this is me uh, piggybacking on you a little bit. Um, I also want to play Trails of Cold Steel uh, 2 in 2020 very, very much. Uh, that That's on the list right after uh, uh, right after Majora's Mask and, quote, podcast obligations, end quote. <laughs> um. I said Zero Escape. I will play the Zero Escape series next year, 100%. Word. all of them on Steam, so that's a good start. Um, But in terms of backlog, um, I think this next year will be the year I actually beat Valkyrie Profile. I was so upset I could not be on the podcast in 2018, 2017, whenever we did it. I think think it was early 2018. Yeah, Life Stuff came up. And I was a bit gutted because I was really enjoying what I was playing. And I've played so many different successes that I really want to play the original because there are so many fans of it on the site. And I know a like a mutual on Twitter adores the, the game. <laughs> so I really, really, really want to make my way through it, finally. If you talk to Steph Sabillo about Valkyrie Profile for five minutes, you will probably get her motor-mouthing all about it and probably sketching one of the main characters uh, in, <laughs> in the middle of that conversation. Definitely. 
So yeah, these are noble goals all around. Uh, thank you for indulging me in that slightly embarrassing exercise, everyone. But I think uh, if we're talking about some 1998 to 2000 games in a podcast ostensibly about 2019, we have reached the end of the episode. Very unusual for being the wrong thing to talk about in a retro <laughs> encounter episode. <laughs> yeah, um, we only do talk about current year games once or twice a year in retro encounter, uh, and so we're just filling out that quota a little bit. Um, but I don't mind betraying the retro word in our title uh, occasionally, even though I know some of our listeners will say, you know, uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, that's not retro in the Facebook comments. Um, shout out, shout out to all the haters. <laughs> So yeah, this has been an epi- this has been an episode of a lot of uh, reflection and shoutouts and goals, but it's time to talk about the future. Uh, next week we are doing an episode all about the PlayStation. PlayStation One had its 25th anniversary, I think, um, in December, uh, just a few weeks ago, and so we're going to be celebrating uh, the PlayStation One a few weeks late by talking about the top 10 PlayStation RPGs. Alana, you and I have already had a planning meeting about this episode. So I think the list is set, but we still have to record uh, the discussion, and I'm looking forward very much to that recording. It's going to be a lot of fun. And also, after that episode, we are doing a spoiler cast on a game that we talked about earlier this episode. You probably can, you probably have a reasonable guess as what that is, since I am going to be hosting that episode. You'll, uh, and it was one of my favorite games of 2019. But uh, because it's recent, we're going to put the word spoiler cast after the episode title. And so that'll be the second week of January. And then the rest of January, we have two episodes on Suikoden 5. Um, That game won a listener poll surrounding episode 200. And we are finally going to talk about that game on the podcast for two episodes next month. And listeners, if you want to reach uh, reach out to the podcast, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. rpgfan.com also has... Uh, dedicated forums, a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a Twitter account, a Discord server, and a Twitch channel with something streaming every day, and a YouTube channel that is having new content added every week. Please check out any of those places you are interested in, and you can find links to all of them from RPGFan.com. And we are on- and Retro Encounter is only one of four fine podcasts on uh, RPG Fan. We also have Random Encounter, focused on current events and randomness. Rhythm Encounter, focusing on RPG music, but hasn't had an episode in a long time, sadly. And Phoenix Edge, which is a weekly podcast mostly for- focused on current events that is hosted on uh, live on YouTube every week. So please review Retro Encounter and those three other uh, Retro Encounter siblings on iTunes, Google Play, or however, whomever, wherever you are listening to us. Shout out Shakira. We love feedback. Um, so before we close out, <laughs> Shakira is a gem, okay? She, I'm Shakira, not arguing Shakira. with you. I am not arguing with you at all. This is a laugh agreeing with you. So, so okay. Uh, in, in non-Shakira content, let's share with the listeners uh, how they can reach each of the four of us directly. Um, first, uh, one final shout-out of the episode. Pete Treisenberg had to leave partway through the episode for a uh, for some family obligations. You can find him at I Have Fury on Twitter. Peter is a delight, and he is on too few Retro Encounter episodes. Saying that right now, even though I think he has like the fourth most Retro Encounter appearances of, of anyone. Uh, but now that Peter's out of the way, uh, Joe, how can listeners reach you? Uh, you can reach me on uh, RPG fan social media accounts. I'm usually running those. Um, my personal ones, you can reach me on Twitter, Discord, and Instagram as at Queers for Fears. 
Um, so you can message me there, talk to me about how uh, Shakira's Sale El Sol is one of the defining albums of the 2010s. Shakira, Shakira. <laughs> uh, Nathan, how can listeners reach you? All right, so you can find me on Twitter. I am at SmashKing27. Or on Discord, I am SmashKing. And Nathan, come on, you're holding out on us. I know you've been doing a fair amount of uh, video game streaming lately. Do, do you have a separate account that you stream from? All right, so uh, on Twitch, you can find me. I am uh, Smashing TV on Twitch. There we go. Uh, there we go. I, I'm a, I'm having a bit of a hiatus right now, just a bit of personal reasons, but uh, I'm hoping to come back in 2020. Word. And, and, uh, and from your Twitter account, people could find out what games and times you're streaming from. Yes. Excellent. Now, Alana, how can listeners reach you? Uh, so the best place is Twitter. I am at Alana Higgs on there. Um, otherwise, I'm sometimes occasionally pop in on our Discord. I'm Diving Falcons there. Um, but I'm always happy to talk about video games. I usually tweet about stuff that I'm playing that's not site relevant or like not. Mm-hmm. I'm not covering for the site. So please indulge me in my screaming as Eusis and Machias sit next to each other. Thank you. And one of these days, Alana, we will make that Rayman Encounter podcast. Just, oh my just so we Just so we get all the Rayman Encounter out there that RPG fan won't let us talk about. Do you know, the minute Rayman gets announced as a PS5 game, I am buying a PS5. It's like, this is going to be the deal breaker, I think. Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends are two of the best platformers of the past 20 years, full stop. And they're... Snap, they, snaps. Yeah, and they, and, they don't, and they don't have a follow-up. Where's... Uh, pick the I'm noun still... following Rayman. I don't care. Just, just, just throw it out there and I'm in. I'm still waiting. Me too. But uh, listeners, if you want to reach me, there's a couple ways to do so. I'm on Twitter at the Real Monsoon most of most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs at other times. That's a Persona Three reference, Joe. And uh, I okay, I played Persona Three. Okay. <laughs> and on di- on uh, Discord at Monsoon Mike most of the time. Uh, and I'm on many, many episodes of this podcast, Retro Encounter, which is now closing out 2019 and looking ahead to 2020. Thank you, good night, and good luck to Lamar Jackson and Shakira and no one else. (laughs) Go Ravens.